0: Well, friends, again, we thank you so much for joining us for this gospel meeting and the last weeknight of the gospel mission. It's been such a joy and such a privilege to be with you, and I don't say that lightly. It hasn't been a sacrifice at all, and it's been a privilege to be with you night after night, and I want to thank your session and your committee for the kind invitation to be with you, and it's just been a real blessing to my own heart and soul. I count it a wonderful privilege to preach the gospel and to tell people about this wonderful Savior that came from glory to go to a cross. And our prayer is that even tonight, the Lord will bless your heart and bless your soul. So I want to thank the Reverend McLaughlin as well for his fellowship. And it's been lovely to get to know God's servant a little bit better over these last uh, nights and over the last fortnight. And we wish God's servant his richest blessing. In the days that lie ahead. And also to Mrs. McLaughlin as well for her encouragement every single night. I think she was the first person in the building uh, almost every night there and really appreciate uh, her encouragement and the hospitality that she and others have provided. And we pray that God will bless them also. And for all of you who have prayed and supported the meetings and for our young people tonight for singing, it's just a joy to be with you. A number of years ago, I used to help out in Jesus Saves. Still do, usually go back there in the month of June every Wednesday night for their Bible study. But whenever I was a student in Bible college, they had a Wednesday night meeting. That was their prayer meeting. And they also had a meeting, I think it was maybe on a Monday night, and that was a gospel meeting. And I had been booked to speak for the month of May at those two meetings. And so I went along every Monday night every Wednesday night for four or five weeks. And then the speaker who was booked to come in June, he pulled out or got cold feet or took on well or something. So they asked me to stay on for an extra month. So I think they had about eight or nine weeks of me. And I remember saying at the end of it, you'll all be glad to see the back of me. And somebody shouted out, Amen. And it was actually the pastor, the Reverend Eric Smith, so they were glad to see the back of me, and I'm sure some of you will be glad to see the back of me as well. But it is with a heavy heart that we bid you farewell after tonight, and we trust that God will bless you and keep you close to the Savior and use you for His glory. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, a very well-known portion of Scripture tonight, a very familiar portion of God's Word, but maybe tonight a very unfamiliar application. We're looking tonight at what is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son, and I want to read, therefore, from verse 11 of Luke chapter 15. It is referred to as the parable of the prodigal son, but maybe there's other titles we could give to this parable. Maybe the parable of the prodigal sons, plural, would be a better title because there were two sons. And essentially, they were both prodigals, one outwardly and one inwardly, one openly and one privately. One went into the far country, the other stayed at home, but still was not really enjoying intimate fellowship with his father. We could also call it the parable of the loving father, because I believe the father figure in this story that the Lord told is is the man who stands out head and shoulders above everybody else and he represents and typifies our father in heaven who is long suffering and merciful and kind and gracious and delights in pardoning those who wander and those who ultimately return but let's just read the first half of the parable of the prodigal son Luke chapter 15 and verse 11 and he that is our lord Jesus Christ said a certain man had two sons And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, "'How many hard servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger?' I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him. Put a ring in his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began To be merry. What a beautiful story. What a wonderful portion of God's precious and inspired and infallible words. So well known, I'm sure, to so many of us, but sometimes these familiar and well-known passages are greatly neglected in these days. But I want you to look at the words that are found at the beginning of verse number 17. And when he came to himself. Those are the words that I want to just base this message upon this evening when he came to himself. Let's pray together and let's for one last time in this mission as far as I'm concerned let's unite our hearts together in prayer and pray that the Spirit of God will work in hearts here in the building and those who are joining us online. We thank God for those who join us night after night from various places and we pray that God will bless them as well. Let's pray. Father, it is with gladness and thankfulness, and yet, Lord, with a sense of sadness as well that we come to this last weeknight of the second week of gospel mission. But we thank Thee, O God, that in the will of God, the Word of God and the gospel will go forth from this pulpit, Lord's Day by Lord's Day. And we thank Thee, O God, that every Lord's Day can be an outreach opportunity and a gospel mission in its own right. We thank Thee, Lord, for those who have sang night after night and for these young people here this evening. We thank Thee for them and we pray that Thou will bless each and every one of them and their friends and their peers and their families that they come from. And we pray that they will have the joy of discovering the plan of God for their lives unfolding before them. Lord, lead them on with Thyself. Lord, take Thy Word tonight. Write it upon every heart. And grant, O God, those that are saved and are walking with God might be encouraged to ever keep close to the Savior. And we pray, Lord, for some that have perhaps grown cold, some, Lord, that are not converted, and others, Lord God, that are lacking assurance, and others that are joining us online, and Thou knowest the need of every heart and every home. And, Lord, we thank Thee that Thou art well able to meet that need. So, Father, we pray tonight that our Savior might be uplifted and exalted, that Thy Word might have free course and be glorified, that Thy kingdom might be extended. And I pray now for the infilling and the anointing of the Spirit of God. Hide me behind the cross. Glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and bless and meet every individual at the point of need, and may everything work together for good, for Thy glory. Hear and answer prayer. We ask it with humility and yet with assurance and boldness in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure we all know this story that we've read together this evening. I believe in many respects it's a true story, that the Lord is thinking about real individuals and a real home and a real family. And the story is very familiar to us. A certain man has two sons And one day the younger son came to his father and it was evident that he was tired of living with the restraints and the restrictions and maybe the religion and the regulations and the responsibilities of living at home and he felt that he would be much better off plowing his own furrow. He's growing up now. He's got all the answers. Dad is so out of touch with reality and and it would be much better off to get his inheritance now that inheritance that was coming to him after his father would pass on from this scene of time. And so the father's heart was so heavy whenever his son came and says, Dad, I want you to give me my inheritance now. I don't want to wait until you're dead. He's almost saying, Father, it's, it would be better off if you were dead now because I don't want to live here anymore. I want my inheritance now. Far away fields are green. I'm going to plow my own furrow, going to paddle my own canoe, if you like, and and going to live it up. And so with a heavy heart, the father gives his son his inheritance, and the son goes into a far country, wastes all of his money. A famine arises in the land. He finds himself feeding swine, but by and by he comes to himself. He comes to his senses, that is, And he decides that he's going to go back home and he's going to confess his waywardness. He's going to confess his sin and apologize to his father and take the place, if his father will allow him, of being a humble servant. And the story has a beautiful ending. They have rejoicing and they dine together and the father greets him with love and mercy and with compassion and it's just a beautiful story and so, so many ways. But it's this little phrase in verse 17 that I want you to consider. It simply says, when he came to himself. As he was feeding the swine, he came to himself. He realized where he was. He realized what he had become. He realized how far he had wandered and drifted. He realized the love in his father's heart. He realized that he had sinned and he had broken his father's heart and primarily he had sinned against God, he had sinned against heaven. And it's interesting that he came to himself. There was no preacher, there was no evangelist, there was no synagogue, there were no gospel preaching churches, there were no gospel missions, there were no gospel tracts, there were no sermons. There was nobody to come and put an arm around him and witness to him or testify to him or challenge him about his waywardness. Just this young man sitting uh, in the midst of a herd of swine. And somehow under that, he came to himself. Now, I believe that as a young Jewish man growing up in the nation of Israel and going into a far country, And looking at these pigs, somehow the Lord spoke to him even in the circumstances that he found himself in. It's incredible how God can use His Holy Spirit to speak into the hearts of individuals. And I believe that this young man was well-educated in the ways of God and sadly had rejected it. But somehow as he sat feeding the swine, he came to himself. And I just wonder tonight, did God use the pigs to preach an object lesson to the prodigal son? And there were certain things that he saw in those pigs that mirrored where he was himself. And I just want tonight to think for a little while about the swine that the prodigal son was feeding. And how the Lord used maybe those swine to cause that young man to come to himself. As we think tonight for a little while about the swine that the prodigal son was feeding, first of all, and maybe the most obvious thing about them would have been their uncleanness. Their uncleanness. These swine were in the field, and the prodigal son was in the field with them. And the swine undoubtedly were unclean physically. They were literally physically unclean. They are an unclean animals. They love to wallow in the mire. And Peter speaks about that in his second epistle in chapter 2 and verse 20. He talks about the sow that was washed goes back to your wallowing in the mire. It's their nature. They, They just don't mind being unclean. They don't mind being dirty. And the sow is unclean. And as this young man looked at these unclean animals, it may be that he looked at himself and he realized, well, I am just as unclean as they are. He had no shoes on his feet by this time. His clothes were like rags and disheveled, and he needed a new robe as soon as he got home. And sitting there amongst the pigs, he was physically defiled and physically unclean himself. No shoes any longer on his feet, so at the very least his feet were defiled. And young people tonight, and older people as well, and those that are joining us online, if you walk according to the course of this present world, you too will become unclean. Sin has a way of defiling us, leaving its mark on our conscience, leaving its mark on our very souls, leaving its mark even on our lives and our character, and sometimes even on our countenance. The pigs were unclean physically. But more than that, the pigs, the swine, were unclean ceremonially, according to the ancient law of Israel. Away back there in the book of Leviticus, chapter eleven and verse number seven, it says, "And the swine, though he divide the hoof and be cloven yet cheweth not the cud; he is unclean unto you." And I'm sure this young lad, growing up in a in a, in a home there in Israel with a, a godly father, and they killed a fatted calf. They they well knew that the swine was an unclean animal in a ceremonial sense. According to the law of God, according to the Word of God, the swine was unclean. And it's whenever we measure ourselves against the standard of God's Word, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount, the epistles of Paul, the life and testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, and as we see the character of God revealed in Scripture, and the law of God revealed in His Word, we see that we are unclean in the sight of Almighty God. Isaiah 64 and 6 says, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. All our righteousnesses in God's sight are as filthy rags. That's not the things that we're ashamed of. That's not the things that we try to hide from each other and try to hide from society, the things that we do in secret or the things that are in our past that we want to cover up, the things that we parade and are proud of. God says they're as filthy rags. There's a verse in Scripture, and it says that God is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity and cannot even look upon sin, and He humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. We are all unclean according to the Word of God. Their uncleanness. And then there's something else that strikes me about the swine that the prodigal son was feeding, and that was their captivity. They weren't roaming free. They weren't free to just live as they pleased or go as they pleased or roam the fields and wander. They were hemmed in. They were fenced in. They were being held in captivity and they could not break free. And as long as there were enough husks for them, and as long as they were there being fed, they probably didn't even think about breaking free. They probably didn't even want to break free. And from the prodigal's standpoint, where he was sitting, feeding those pigs, he knew that they're not really going to be going anywhere meaningful anytime soon. This is their lot in life. They're hemmed in, they're fenced in, they're held in captivity, they're wallowing there in the mire. But sure wasn't his life just the same. His life wasn't going anywhere either. And he was being held in captivity as well. As a young man, he had left home looking for freedom, looking for life and for satisfaction. And he soon finds himself in bondage to sin, in bondage to poverty in bondage to hunger, in bondage to uncleanness, in bondage to guilt, in bondage to fear. And like so many in our world tonight, he felt living at home under the responsibility and dominion of his Father, this is bringing me into bondage. But if I could just go out into that big world out there, I would really be free. And so many discover that the things in life that they think will set them free ultimately and often bring them into bondage. And the things that many think will bind them, growing up in a Christian home or a gospel preaching church, the things that many young people think will bring them into bondage are in fact the things that set them free. The truth shall make you free. Jesus Christ said, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And there's a wonderful freedom and liberty in the gospel. But many people don't believe that and don't realize that. They think if I come to Christ and get converted and repent of my sin and trust the Lord and yield to His lordship in my life and surrender to Him and follow Him, that'll bring me into bondage. But I want to be free. I want to go out there and taste of this world. And it mightn't be the big sins. It can be the small sins, the respectable sins that can bind us just as much as drugs or alcohol or sexual immorality or gambling or whatever it might be. It might be materialism. It might be covetousness. It might be lust. It might be pride. It might be self-will. It might even be self-pity or self-harm or many other things that bring people into so much bondage. We often talk about man's free will, And certainly man is a free agent to do as he chooses. But his will is bound by his nature. And maybe you're in the meeting tonight and you feel that I just can't break free. And maybe you've no desire to come to the liberty and light of the gospel. And your will is bound and your heart is bound and your life is bound. Can I ask you tonight, are you really free? Are you really free from guilt? Are you really free from fear? Are you free tonight from the power of sin in your life? I'm not asking you, have you been saved from the penalty of sin? But are you saved from the power and the dominion of sin in your life? Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. And I look at these swine and this portion of Scripture and I see their uncleanness. I see their captivity. And I see this young man sitting amongst them and I see his uncleanness and they see his captivity as well, and then also their futility. Life was just futile for the pigs, monotonous. Every day was exactly the same as the day before, and the day after would probably be the same as well. They get up in the morning, they go out, they snort among the husks, they shove each other about, they grunt and they snort and they eat their husks and they sleep and they wallow in the mire. and it's going to be the same the next day and the next day and the next day. And life has become so futile and so monotonous. But sure, this young man's life is just the same. He's in the same place they are. He was hungry yesterday, he's hungry today, and unless something big happens, he's going to be hungry tomorrow. And every day is just the same, and it's futile, and it's monotonous, stuck in the pig pen, going through the whole motion of just staying alive. You know, you can have a pulse, and you can have a heartbeat, but not really have true, real, meaningful life. And for so many in this society that we have created for ourselves, life is so empty and so futile and so monotonous, and for many, so boring and so disappointing and for many it's just a, a real anticlimax whenever you get out in the world and you realize after a relatively short period of time that the pleasures of sin, and there are pleasures in sin, but they only last for a for a short season. I wonder do you ever feel like that? Life's just going around in this carousel over and over again, maybe Monday through to Friday, looking forward to the weekend, and that's maybe goes by so quickly and becomes something of a disappointment, and then Monday morning again, entering into the rat race, going through the routine, paying your bills, watching the soaps, or doing whatever you do, checking social media, spending several hours on a tablet, or a phone, or an iPad every single day, and that's it, and that's how it's going to be again, and again, and again, and then health begins to feel. And like Solomon, you look back and you say, vanity of vanities. It's all the pursuit of wind. Solomon had the ability to just get everything he ever wanted in this world as far as material things were concerned. But the more he accumulated, the more empty he felt inside. And the more worries he had as well. You know, whenever I was a a young lad growing up at home, my father had this friend, and he was a real character. And he used to come to our home from time to time and sit and he would smoke cigarette after cigarette and tell story after story and joke after joke. And he had done so well in life in a financial and business sense. And I used to think, boy, there's a man's got it all. He doesn't care what people think. He lives it up. He does what he wants. And then sometimes the telephone would ring and dad would go out to answer the phone. And this man would turn around to my mum and say, what's it all about? And that amazed me. As a young lad of maybe 10 or 12 or 13 years of age, you mean to say that you've, you've built this beautiful home and you've raised a family and you've got beautiful cars, you've got this great business and you tell jokes and you do whatever you want to do in life, but you don't even know what it's all about yet? And that had an impact in my life. That there must be so much more to life than what this guy has. And I think many are wondering this question right until they reach the grave, what is it all about? And they look back and maybe ask, what was it all about? And sometimes in a present tense, we look back at the past with rose-tinted glasses, that it was better back then, and we look forward to the future with blind hope that it might just get better. But in our transitory state, every place we are, we seem to be so discontent in a life without God or a life outside of his sweet and divine fellowship. I remember listening to Ivan Thompson as a young Christian many times, and one night he was giving his testimony. We were down at a convention away down in Cork in a place called Bandon, and Ivan Thompson was giving his testimony in an old barn, and he talked about whenever he was a young man and his wife was going to all these religious meetings, as he said, in church services, he was off to the, the greyhound racing. He says he went down to the, wherever it was, the stadium, and the greyhounds were racing, and he says, I spent my last pound betting on the dogs, and I didn't even have a decent coat, and as I was leaving, the heavens opened, and it just started to rain, and I was walking home in the rain, disappointed, dissatisfied, unhappy, getting absolutely soaked, not a penny in my pocket, and all of these taxis were coming out of the stadium, and the greyhounds sitting in the back of the taxis and me walking home. And what sort of life is this to live? I'm walking home, I've spent all my money, I've got nothing left, I'm walking home in the rain, and the greyhounds, the dogs are going home in the back of the taxis. There must be more to life than this. Futility, emptiness, dissatisfaction. What about another thing about these swine? What about their owner? Who owned them? Who had the rights The legal right to own these pigs and do whatever he wants with them. The old farmer, in the midst of this famine, I'm sure he had been hit hard, but still was able to keep his swine, still able to feed the swine, still able to employ people to look after the swine. The country has gone bust, but he's still able to keep his head above water. But concerning the prodigal, it says in verse number 16, no man gave unto him. No man gave unto him, not even the farmer, just gave him enough to stay alive. The farmer didn't really care about his pigs, he's just in it for the money. He didn't really care about this young lad far away from home and starving and almost naked and unclean and dissatisfied and dishappy. And I'm sure that prodigal son thought, you know, he doesn't really care for the well-being of these pigs he's just using them for his own ends. And he doesn't really care all that much about me either. And I often wonder whenever young people go out into the world and they they spend their money in the pubs and the off licenses and they, they maybe get their drugs or whatever it is, do the people that they're buying those things off really care about them? Do they really want you to be happy? Does the publican or the man that owns the disco or the the drug pusher really care whether you're happy and satisfied and content or not and enjoying your life? Or are they just milking you? Are they just using you for their own ends? I think this prodigal son is starting to realize this farmer doesn't care about much about me, but who's really, who's really my boss, who's really my owner? Jesus Christ said to the religious establishment of his day in John 8 and 44, "Year off your father the devil. And the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And this young man, this prodigal, is now realizing I've got a cruel taskmaster. Doesn't really care for me at all. And he starts to think about this and starts to realize this. Do you think that the world out there really cares about you? I soon discovered in life that, if we're honest, there's not all that many people that really care about us. Maybe our parents, our siblings, one or two close friends, and certainly the God of heaven. But outside of that, there's maybe not all that many. I remember going to school all of those years ago and sitting in English class in fourth year and fifth year in high school. And I tell you, it was the most boring class in all the world. And a Friday afternoon, we had three periods back to back. That was two hours of English on a Friday afternoon from half past one to half past three. And our teacher, she had a dry, boring, monotone voice, and she never lifted her head. She just dictated notes for two hours. And one of the books that we had to read was Animal Farm by George Orwell. And all of these animals get together, and old Farmer Jones is this totalitarian dictator type individual, and they drive him out of the farm. They're going to make a better society for themselves. And it's not long before the swine, the pigs take over, and there's an old horse called Boxer, a strong shire horse. And they bring out the construction plans for this windmill that they're going to build at the top of the hill. And Boxer is tasked with dragging these huge big stones and boulders up to the top of the hill to make this windmill. And they work him and they sleeve him to the grind and at last the windmill is finished and they enjoy a short time of prosperity until a tremendous storm comes and the windmill but gets damaged and it falls down. And Boxer by this stage is tired and weary and exhausted and they've promised him that if he just builds his windmill, he'll be able to relax. Just one last time, exert yourself, expend your energy and we'll allow you to relax and be happy and we'll make sure that you're warm and you've got plenty to And so he sleeves to the grind again. He cracks his hoof. He nearly breaks his back. And at last, whenever the second windmill is finished, and boxers all but done, they send him off to the glue factory. And I thought as I learned that story, isn't that a lot like living for this world? living for self and living for sin and living maybe unwittingly for Satan and thinking, well, if I just, if I just try really hard and, and, and be like the, the, rich young, the rich young ruler or the rich young fool and say, I'll, I'll, I'll pull down my barns, I'll build bigger barns and then I'll sit down and kick up my feet and say to my soul, you have much goods laid up for many years, take thine ease, eat, drink and be merry. And it all ends in heartache. What about their destination Wonder did this young man ever look at these swine and think, well, they're in captivity now and they're eating their husks now and life is monotonous now. But where are they going? What's going to be the end of them? Is he just keeping them as pets? Or is he fattening them up for the slaughter? These pigs in the far country were bound for the bacon factory. They're going to be made into pork chops and pork loins and bacon and sausages and all sorts of different things because this is the far country. It's not Israel. They delight in eating their pigs and their pork. And that's where they're headed. They're headed for the slaughterhouse, they're headed for destruction. And did that young man begin to think, well, what about me? What's my destiny if I stay here and keep on living the way I'm living and do not repent and turn around and go back and confess my sin? And get right with God and get right with my Father and endeavor to make restitution. If I don't turn my life around and don't get right with God, where's my destination going to be? Have you ever wondered that? Where will I go after this life is over? Where am I going? Well, how are you living tonight? Are you walking with God? Are you following Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, and as Master? Maybe this young man thought about some of the Old Testament scriptures that were so familiar to him. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget against God and he's living a wicked life. He has wasted his substance with riotous living with harlots and all sorts of things and he's lived a wicked life. And he's certainly forgotten about God. So one thing's for sure, he's not going to heaven. Hell from beneath thee is moved to meet thee at thy coming. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Moses said, I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life, but he has chosen his own way. And he maybe begins to realize that his destination is not going to be heaven and home. His destination is going to be a lost eternity. Albert Einstein, whenever he was an aged man and had lost a lot of his mental sharpness, was one day traveling from his office in Princeton to New York City, traveling on a train. And whenever the conductor was making his way down through one of the carriages, he found Einstein, the great physicist, on his knees under the seats and through the luggage racks and hooking through his coats, and he was agitated and worried and anxious. And the conductor says, Mr. Einstein, I take it that you've lost something. Is it your wallet? Is it your keys? He says, no, sir. He says, I've lost my ticket. And the conductor says, "Well, Mr. Einstein, there's no problem. You purchased a ticket from myself not all that long ago. And if you've lost your ticket, I can vouch for you. If anybody questions you, I'll cover you that you purchased a ticket. And if you really need me to, I can issue you with another ticket just to give you peace of mind. Mr. Einstein said, that is not my dilemma. He says, I know I purchased a ticket. I know I purchased it from yourself. But that ticket tells me where I was supposed to be going. He said, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what station to get off at. I don't know how long I'm to sit on this train. I don't know who I'm supposed to be meeting. And so you see his awful dilemma. He can't enjoy the journey because he doesn't know where he's going. I wonder tonight do you know where you're going? Do you know you're going someday to heaven? To be with Jesus Christ and those who have, who have gone on before? Or is your destiny heaven's only alternative? Hell itself. One last thought and we're finished and the week of meetings is over. What about their footprint? We read that little verse back there in Leviticus chapter 11 and verse number 7. And if you are a Bible scholar tonight or know anything about the Old Testament Scriptures and these old Levitical laws about clean animals clean birds, clean animals, clean fish. There were certain things that made them distinct. And whenever it came to land-dwelling animals, there were two marks of distinction that marked them out as being clean. And they had to have both of these marks. The first mark was that they had a parted or a cloven hoof, like a cow's hoof. A horse does not have a cloven hoof, therefore it is deemed to be unclean. A sheep or a cow has a cloven hoof. Therefore, it's deemed to be clean, as long as it chews the cud at the same time. Now, the interesting thing about the pig was it had a cloven hoof, but it did not chew the cud. Outwardly, it left a footprint behind that might have betrayed to an unwitting observer that that animal is clean in the sight of God but it wasn't clean in the sense inwardly that it did not chew the cud. Inwardly and outwardly, there was a contradiction, there was a contrast. And you might have a clean walk externally. You might betray to your family, to your neighbors, to your peers, to the people in the church, That you're walking with God and you've got a separated walk and you're not walking according to the course of this world, but inwardly it's oh so different. You're not meditating upon the things of God, the Spirit of God isn't in you. You're not rooted and grounded in the faith. You've never been born again of the Spirit of God. You've never been given a new heart, you've never been given a new nature. And so tonight, friends, it's so important if we're going to be counted clean in the eyes of God that we're cleansed inwardly. And that inward cleansing and the indwelling of the Spirit is marked by a separated walk outwardly. So there was a a turning around. He came to himself. And whenever he came to himself, he came back to the Father. And I'm sure you know how The story ends, at least as far as the younger brother is concerned, when his father saw him afar off. He was watching and waiting, and he saw this figure coming up the lane one day and this head hanging low, dragging his feet perhaps, but all of a sudden he recognizes, there's my boy, and he runs, and in Bible times, dignified men did not often run. But this old man girds up the loins of his garments, maybe kicks off his sandals or shoes and runs like a schoolboy, falls upon his son's neck, kisses him. Son, starting to confess, just about to say, make me, I pray, thee, one of thy hard servants. And the father just says, no, son, bring a robe and put it on him. Put clothes on him. That speaks of the garments of salvation. Put a ring in his finger. That speaks of ownership, being brought back into the family, put shoes in his feet. That speaks of a new walk. You can be clothed in the garments of salvation tonight. You can be brought into the family and fold of God this evening. By the grace of God, from this moment on, you can walk in newness of life. But you need to come to yourself. And then you need to come afresh to Christ. I wonder, will you do that this evening, this Savior that died upon a cross, shed his blood, and is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. When you come to Christ tonight, this last weeknight of two weeks of gospel mission, will you come, taste and see that the Lord is good. God bless you. Thank you so much.